Welcome to the Vine Church Podcast, and today we are doing something a little bit different. There was a request submitted from the staff um, that we have a very special guest host today. And this special guest host, who I'm going to leave as a surprise for a second, um, was requested to interview me, in fact. And I did not need to be the center of attention on the number 48 (laughs) podcast of the Vine Church. But the request was made and uh, accepted that my good friend, Mrs. Amy Anderson, welcome, Amy. Hello. I'm happy to be here. I hear the joy in your voice. And I'm excited to experience it for the next few minutes. But Amy's going to actually interview me. Yep. And uh, I have no idea what she's going to ask me. And I like it that way. I prefer a little spontaneity in conversation. And so, um, Amy, the, the floor is yours. I'm so jazzed about this. I have a feeling that part of why I was requested to do this is because I've known you for a long time or known of you for a long time. I first encountered you as the leader of my senior high youth group worship uh, for one of our winter conferences. And then, I mean, at that time I was 18, so I've known you for a long time. I forgot about that. Yeah. And then you led worship really throughout all of my college experience with the Navigators. Okay. And so really what I'm getting to here is that I knew you as a rock star. (laughs) And I think it would be important for our church members to know that part of you and hear about that. And so tell us a little bit about your musical journey. Yeah. Well, it's funny because um, in other places around the country where I've lived, everybody thinks of me as musician. Yeah. And I don't think anybody in Madison really thinks of me as musician. No. They just think of me as like pastor at the Vine. Um, so it's like the complete opposite from where I've been. But no, I mean, I come from a really musical family. Um, my dad was a very talented musician, piano player, organist. Um, my mom was always a really good singer. My sister can sing really well. Um, aunts and uncles that sing really well. Okay. Um, so music is just kind of in my blood. And uh, so I st- I played piano as a kid and hated mm-hmm. it and just wanted to play basketball. And my parents' rule was you're going to play piano until you move out. So that was just kind of the law. Okay. And, you know, at the time I did not enjoy it didn't practice nearly as much as I wanted or as I should have but Mm -hmm. about my junior year in high school I got hooked because I could start to play things that I actually thought were cool Um, classical pieces that had interesting harmonies and and then I got really into jazz in college uh, jazz piano and I didn't even really know what that meant but I took a jazz theory course and that blew my mind uh, my freshman year at University of Northern Iowa and that kind of uh, set the trajectory for a lot of different things. Um, and so I got to um, participate in a band um, in my early 20s that we wrote songs and traveled around and did yeah. conferences, uh, leading worship where things that Amy was attending when she was in college. And, and then that led to me having a desire to try to do this full time and be you know, whatever, the next Stephen Curtis Chapman or whatever. Um, Is that what you, like, I mean, was that a genuine, like, I know you're joking about it. No, no, for real. Okay. Yeah, write songs, do shows, and have that be my career. And that's what I thought I wanted. Yeah. And uh, so went moved to Nashville to try to make that happen in 2004. Okay. And uh, banged my head against that wall for um, about nine months. You know, Kim, we had Taylor was... 
Well, let's see. Autumn was born in Nashville. So um, Taylor was two and Autumn was very, very small. Okay. Uh, newborn. And uh, I'm trying to like stir up this Christian music career mm -hmm. and just bang my head against that wall for nine months. Yeah. Came working way too much to like basically support my dream. And um, I'm working at Applebee's, affectionately known as Crapplebee's. Um, I love it so much. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then after nine months, I was ready to give up and okay. go work a job for Dave Ramsey, actually. Um, just like, yeah, 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 I mean, it really entertained it, you know? Yeah. Um, just basically selling his products in a call, kind of a call center, but they dressed it up in a different I way to it. make it sound a lot better. Um, and uh, my wife and another good friend just said, hey, I don't think it's time to give up yet. And then yeah. a few weeks later, I got the opportunity through relationships, um, friends of friends in Nashville to go on the road with an artist named Matthew West. And I was in yeah. his band traveling all over the country for about 18 months. Okay, that's a long time. Yeah, it was cool. Um, but it's a, it's a little boy's world in the sense that, like, had I been single in 24, it would have been the coolest yeah. gig of all time, you know. But... Um, we, I was 29, I think, and, uh, and had two kids and a yeah. wife working way too much just to try to be a blessing to me and, and help me do what I wanted to do. And that just kind of ran its course where yeah. you're like never going to church and, um, a lot of reasons I could go into about why that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, just the whole in Christian music industry. But, um, uh, but on the positive side, I played with a lot of world-class musicians. Yeah. It really helped boost my um, understanding of what good music really is. And, yeah. and um, there's a lot of really cool exceptions in the Christian music industry of people mm -hmm. that have a ton of integrity. And and um, and so I got to do pretty much everything the Christian music industry uh, had to offer. And, um, and I think what that really produced is God gave me those two years in Nashville to produce contentment in my life mm. because, you know, in my early 20s, working at like a quasi mega church as a music pastor, yeah. um, you know, I mean, so many immature feelings of just like being on a stage and having everybody know who you are and get compliments for your music that just gives sure. you a big head. And um, I needed to be humbled, and Nashville okay. really did that for me because I found out that I was a really big fish in a tiny pond. And I went to Nashville sure. and found that I was not that great. Okay. And that was really good for me, as painful as that was. And yeah. um, and so got humbled and got to really do everything that Christian music has to offer. Um, yeah. And uh, I even had a, a songwriting contract. For no six way. months, yeah, that's awesome. Um, where I uh, co-wrote a Point of Grace song. <gasps> Shut up! You didn't know that? <laughs> no. And I did you'll, not you'll, expect you'll love this to learn anything today. This is amazing. Yeah. So, um, you can go into Spotify or um, Spotify or uh, iTunes or Apple Music and search yeah. for a song called "Fight." Okay. By Point of Grace. Okay. And I got to co-write that. That's awesome. And I also have a song that I don't think you can find on iTunes or Spotify um, called For Who You Are. And that was recorded, you'll love this, Amy, by okay. the Women of Faith Conferences. I love it so much. So what's really ironic is those are the kind of bands I would have made fun of before moving to Nashville. Sure. Like, yeah. That's pretty cheesy. Yeah. But when you're getting paid to write songs... Um, <laughs> 
like getting a cut on one of those records is what you're trying to shoot for. Yeah. But that's also part of the reason why um, it just left a bad taste in my mouth because I'm sitting sure. in, a, in an office trying to write a song that I don't really think is that cool, okay. but fits into the box of what you have to fit into to get yeah. published on a, sure. on a, on a, on a national artist level. And so you have to just work the system, yeah. but the system is not my artistic preferences. And so you no. feel like a sellout, you know, sure. um, so it just makes you feel kind of gross. Yeah. Uh, artistically speaking, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with those songs, no. but just personally, artistically, it, yeah. it didn't satisfy. So anyway, yeah. um, that's a little known. Yeah. I, I've, <laughs> I hope I co-wrote the song. I don't get all the credit, I love it but so that's much. a whole story in itself. Um, but, uh, yeah, so music stuff has always been a part of my life. And today, um, oh, what I was going to say is it just, it just stirred up contentment in me because before it was like rock star dreams and you never yeah. say this out loud, but it was, um, basically like, man, if I'm only wor leading worship for 40 people, like, is this really worth it? Cause sure. I mean, I want the big stage. I want the big crowd. Yeah. And you know, it's like, I got to play on some really big stages when yeah. I was, um, in Nashville and it's like, okay, that's cool. Now what, okay. you know? And, um, I got to see that Matthew West's life is what I thought I wanted. Yeah. It's not what I wanted. And God gave me a front row seat to see. Yeah. That's not who I am. Um, yeah. and what he does is not my gifting. And, uh, so that was just freedom and contentment Yeah, to come home, um, and and work in the local church and not yeah. and just be content. It's not about crowds and attention and yeah. selfishness. Ultimately, it's about service yeah. and helping people um, grow into the image of Jesus and um, grow the local church. I so. love that. So, how does music? Well, first of all, like is music. I in my head, it would have to be intertwined into your expression of faith or how you like experience God. Mm -hmm. Is that true? And how does that look for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, it's it's a way that I think I can emote in ways yeah. that I can't verbally. It's very mysterious. Yeah. I mean, music is very mysterious. Yeah. Like, what is it? Like, if you really think about it philosophically, like, what is it? Like, yeah. like it moves us in ways that we can't articulate. Yeah. They just are yeah. like you go to a movie and the music kicks in and the tears can flow and, and in a way that like if the music wasn't there they wouldn't yeah absolutely you know? and um so it i think emotionally it just ex it helps me express myself in ways that i can't yeah. really access otherwise um i don't know does that answer your question it does i think that's an interesting because i've heard a lot of people describe you as a very emotional person really Yes, but you come across very stoic in a lot of ways. And sure. so I think that that kind of describes maybe that duality for you, that that's maybe the space where it comes out. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I, um, and again, we all change and morph. Like, I'm yeah. way more emotional, like, after having kids for than sure. before kids. You yeah. Know? Um, like, there's always a softening that comes yeah. when you have kids. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I'm maybe just kind of, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting to hear you say that <laughs> people perceive me a certain way that, and, and everybody, we do this to everybody, you know, yeah. I mean, we perceive each other certain ways. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, 
I, I used to be a worship leader, you know, for 13 years. Yeah. That was my job before moving to Nashville. And, and I've always felt that, um, I could express myself ways musically that people probably wouldn't think of maybe as a side of my personality. Yep. Yeah. Um, but it, I can tap into that at the piano yeah. more, usually or something. I don't know. And John and I mean, like John and I still like talk about how like fond our memories are of like the big main event conferences and your band leading worship mm -hmm. and how that was such an important time in my life and in my faith growing. And then when we came to Madison, John was in residency. We had a difficult baby. We hadn't really gotten plugged into a church. And then all of a sudden the Hoberts show up yeah. and you show up and the Sterners show up and you start this church. And so then when we came, because you were leading worship, it felt like home. It felt like That's a place cool. where my faith was growing, you know, sure. instead of this stagnant, like sleep deprived young mother. So yeah. That's we awesome. just, yeah, you were like a big part of that, like bringing us into the vine and wanting us, like us wanting to be there. Yeah. On my bad days as a pastor, um, and everybody has bad days as a pastor. Um, it's like, uh, sometimes I fantasize about like just going back to being a music pastor yeah. like, Oh, it'd be so much more simple. <laughs> and like, I'm just going to get up there, lead some songs and, yep. and, uh, and it'll be simple. But I, I know that's, uh, those are escapist fantasies sure. that aren't connected to obedience at this sure, stage in my life. Sure. And, um, I know that's, I'd probably get bored and, and discontent yeah. and, um, cause, but I, I, I do, I've just recently started to miss leading worship. Okay. Um, so I may schedule myself at the vine once yeah. in a while uh, and I haven't felt that way in a long time. Like okay. it was like full on for 13 years, you know, yeah. and I was ready to not be yeah. the music guy. Um, for sure, but it's definitely a part of who I am. And yeah. so uh, we'll see what God has in store. I mean, yeah, anyway, I love that. So shifting to like being lead pastor, is that what we title you at the vine? Lead I, yeah. Some people probably might. Yeah. Um, I think it says that on the email, but superstar yeah. lead elder. Pastor. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, something like that. Your, your majesty is what you can refer to. Me oh, as. So, thank you. I just wanted to get it right. <laughs> So your majesty, <laughs> um, what, how, like, what does it mean to you to be a pastor? Like, how would you define that? I feel like you can define yeah. it a lot of different ways and people right. take it in different directions. So right. for you, what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't think you can do much better than the, the biblical metaphor of shepherding. Yeah. And that really helps me now that I've actually seen a shepherd in real life. Yeah. Like when we go to, Mor when we go to Morocco, um, like, you see shepherds. Yeah. And um, that's really helped me in the last decade. But, you know, in when the Bible was written, the shepherds were everywhere um, yeah. in their world. Yeah. And so that metaphor would have landed on them with more definitive, um, uh, with just more definition yeah. than we have. But, you know, leading, feeding, protecting, um, yeah. those are kind of the words that describe shepherding. So where are we going um, providing yeah. through, you know, food. And, and so it's like, it's vision, it's leadership, it's teaching, mm -hmm. guiding through the word. It's protecting from false teaching. It's protecting yeah. from, um, the biblical word would be wolves. Yeah. Um, but that just means people that want to destroy the church, um, either from within or from without. Yeah. Um, so that's how I think of it, mm -hmm. you know? 
um, and that really helps me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a, a CEO yeah. of an organization yep. that I mean. There's overlap, of, sure. of course, in terms of how leadership gets expressed, but primarily, um, we th- we we want to use the the biblical word shepherding, mm-hmm. um, which is leading, feeding, and and protecting. Yeah, I like that. I think one of the things that has been interesting about because we started coming to the vine within that first year-ish of it starting so we've been here since the beginning yeah so we've seen you on your journey as a pastor here and um you in the beginning were much more maybe outspoken in certain opinions and different ideas and as time has gone on I've been interested to hear you talk about how like you're, you would say like you're hyper about the church, not splitting. Sure. And so I just kind of want to hear a little bit from your perspective, because from my perspective, you were someone that maybe would have taken a harder line on certain things and maybe what? not caused a split, but you know, I'm just curious, like, what do you remember from like how I communicate or how you um, got that impression? I just, think that you were just like a little more fiery and dogmatic thank, <laughs> I, thank you for uh filling in that gap you're not gonna offend me you can, <laughs> you're not gonna offend me like you can totally you yeah you were just quicker to come down on an issue and less discussion and i think as i've experienced you over the years but I would feel you like... say that like in a in a one-on-one setting in a meeting or in like from from preaching uh, like more from preaching from or preaching. just like quick interactions. Yeah, because we didn't get a lot of time until I started doing Porterbrook. Right. right. Which is much, you know, right. in the more recent time. But I just thought it was interesting knowing kind of some of those personality tendencies that came out in your preaching. Sure. To see you now be very outspoken about wanting to preserve our church from falling into some of those. Sure. Well, there's a lot of, of, I mean, gosh, there's there's probably a lot to say there, but. The first thing is the older you get, I feel like if you're filled with the spirit, um, you learn what battles are worth it and which ones aren't. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the only way for some people to learn that, someone like me who's who um, would probably be defined as strong-willed, um, <laughs> it takes suffering sure. to, of like, oh, that was the wrong hill to die on. Yep. That wasn't worth it. Um it, it takes suffering to teach you those lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just in marriage. Mm-hmm. It's like you look back on the things that Kim and I were dogmatic about in our yeah. 20s when we first got married and how much conflict we had. Just over looking back now, you know, we hardly yeah. ever conflict anymore. Um, and it's like, gosh, we were so hyper about the dumbest <laughs> stuff. You know, mm-hmm. just, it just wasn't worth it. Yeah. But only time can teach you that. You yeah. know what I mean? Because... You, you can't just flip a switch when you're 24 and go, oh, yeah, those aren't my convictions anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I do. <laughs> life is life is the best teacher. Experience is mm-hmm. the best teacher. So there's probably just some of that where. Yeah. I think, yeah, the pain of seeing. Um, yeah, it's just, man, it's like, I don't know. Because there are issues that I will go down swinging yep, on. They're just sure. they're just not as many. Mm-hmm. It, l- l- the way I say it a lot of times is, 
the older I've gotten, it's like the, the blacks and the whites have gotten more distinct and clear. Like I'm way, yeah. I feel way more confident about a certain set of things Yeah. where like more than ever, like I'll, I'll die on that hill Yeah. in a way that I was, it's even more profound things like, like if our eldership, um, goes sideways somehow, mm-hmm. like I know for a fact that that will that will really, really be a detriment to the church. Yeah. And so if I was ever in a church context where I felt like um, the eldership wasn't united and mm-hmm. really believing the best about each other and seeking to love each other, yeah. like that's, that's a conviction that's so much deeper now than it was at 25. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or like that if your marriage is not healthy, um, like that has, that has deep implications for leadership in all areas of life. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll, I'll die on that hill. Yeah. You know what I mean? But there's a lot of other things where it's just like, it's just more gray than it's not black and white Mm -hmm. and it's, it's just gray. And I used to think it was black and white and it's just not. Yeah. And, um, I'm trying to think of an example to make it more helpful, but, um, yeah, I just, I mean, you can, you can think of, um, just current controversies where it's just Mm -hmm. like, I don't think, the, uh, I'm going to step on toes here, but that's fine. Um, I mean, it's just like, again, like you hear me say all the time, it's your convictions are not the issue. It's how you communicate yep. the convictions. Yep. And um, I think the more I've read the Bible, I've noticed that Paul just recommends all the time gentleness mm-hmm. for yeah. those that are leading, yep. you know, um, Second Timothy two twenty four, you know, talking about those who are opposing Timothy, mm-hmm. you know, um, he says he's, he uses the word gentleness there mm-hmm. in response to those who oppose him. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but be um, kind to everyone, able to teach. Yeah. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Yeah. And um, so I think a lot of that is just informing how I want to carry myself. Yeah. And. I've had people tell me they think I'm intimidating and I, and I don't, um, I don't feel intimidating at Uh all. Um, and most people would be maybe surprised to learn that I feel like a mess. Yeah. I mean, you've said that. And you know that about me because we've talked about this. Yeah. But it is surprising because that's not the vibe you're giving off really. (laughs) Well, publicly. Yeah. You know what I mean? You could ask my wife. Sure. Um, but yeah, like when I step on stage to preach, yeah. I feel very, very confident. And I think it's because okay. I'm standing on God's word. Like I don't yeah. want anybody to say that was Zach's word. I want them to say, Zach convinced me by showing me God's word yeah. that this is where the church should be heading. Yeah. And so I think I feel really, really confident to the degree that I'm standing on God's word yeah. and trying to interpret it in the way that I think is is the best. Um, but man, when I'm not on stage, like... Like I, the prayer that I pray, um, the most often now is Lord, yeah. just help me. Like, yeah. I don't know what to do. I'm in over my head. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm out of my depth here. Like, I know I don't present myself that way, but if you were to hang out with me in day to day life, you would yeah. see that. And and just most people don't do that. Right. But the people close to me know that that's yeah. who I am. And, yeah. and, um, so do you feel like that sentiment um, 
would you apply that broadly? Like, do you feel like you are saying that about church, about family, about, or is there like one area of your life that you feel like you're reaching to God to say, like, I feel in over my head? Well, I mean, parenting will, will humble all of us. <laughs> yes, you know it what I will. Mean? So, I mean, that just goes without saying, yeah. like, um, the older your kids get, the more you live life with them, the more you realize you're not in control. Absolutely. And it's like, Lord, I, I got nothing here. Yeah. You, you, I literally, I'm just, I'm, I got nothing. Yeah. And uh, so I'm just submitted to you. Yeah. Waiting on you. And, um, and so, I mean, my kids are awesome and so thankful for them, but yeah, any, parenting humbles all of us. Yeah. Um, but I think mostly in, in ministry, yeah. you know, in addition to parenting, it's just like you find yourself in situations where it's like, ah, there's a, a problem here and mm-hmm. I can't solve it. Yeah. I can't fix it. You know, just like with your kids. I mean, pastoring is parenting. I think that's (laughs) what people need to remember. This isn't like CEO boardroom. Right. Like it's more akin to parenting. Yeah. And just like you have burdens with your kids of like, well, this is just what's going on with my kid right now. And I'm not the Holy Spirit and I can't change their heart. Right. And they're not two anymore where I just pick them up and (laughs) put them in the pack and play or the crib or whatever. Um, You know, they're 12 or they're 15. and Yeah. And you can't just control them. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with pastoring. Mm-hmm. Like you have these people that you love as like a spiritual father. And you can't just snap your fingers because you're not the Holy Spirit and, and make it all better. Right. So, um, and there's situations and, and just, I mean, just all the COVID stuff. It's yeah. just like, <laughs> man, like, Lord, I don't know what to do. Mm-mm. I don't know what to do. Right. I haven't been trained in this. Um, and we got to make decisions that mm-hmm. nobody agrees with. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and so, uh, yeah, I, um, I just know that that's where the Lord wants us though. Yeah. Like yeah. he hates overconfidence. Yeah. He hates a swagger that says, well, what do I need you for? No, like he's designed this thing so that yeah. we need him. I mean, that's what Paul says. Second Corinthians chapter one. It's like, we despaired of our very lives. Yeah. You know, we, we felt the sentence of death in our bodies. Yeah. Um, like that's Paul saying we were in over our head. Yeah. And so I always find that verse to be strangely comforting, you know, because <laughs> um, I think that's where the Lord wants us, as painful as it is. Yeah. Um, because then we know it's not about us manipulating things. Right. You know, like, hey, look at all these people that come to the vine. Right. It's like, no, this has nothing to do with me and my manipulating and... Yep. and um manufacturing mm-hmm. some church thing that's yeah. going to stroke my ego. It's like, that's not what's happening here. Yeah. And I don't want to be part of anything like that. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I would assume most of the people here would agree as well. So who are some of the people on your faith journey, whether it be people you actually know personally, authors, pastors like who do you go to for like advice and who do you look up to and listen to and yeah um so just like my like spiritual mentors maybe yeah anybody I mean like yeah it can be people you actually are in relationship with or like yeah people who you well, f- read or yeah. first of all my wife you know yeah. Kim is amazing she's sharp as a tack I trust her yeah um I trust her so much and I'm so thankful for her. And so there's nothing that I don't talk through with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, uh, 
she's just really, really supportive. And, um, I can't imagine not having her, um, you know, from afar, I really felt like my faith grew a ton in college when I started reading John Piper. Sure. And I felt like, um, he taught me kind of how to read the Bible, um, just through his example mm-hmm. and his path. And, you know, really what I've taken away from him and listening to his preaching is like what I just said earlier about, I don't want you to remember me. Mm-hmm. I want you to remember that there was this pastor I had that really pointed me to the God's word yeah. as my food. Yeah. And he tried to persuade me not from, you know, rhetorical flourishes or skills, but basically just asking me to put my eyeballs on this book, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, John Piper really has modeled that for me mm-hmm. in the last 25 years or more. And, um, that's, I, I want to do that. I want to yeah. do that. Uh, but just understanding, uh, my Bible and understanding the sovereignty of God and the mm-hmm. love of God, um, that was really, really shaping for me, Yeah, you know, that, that God is in control. He, um, his providence governs the universe and, um, his sovereignty mm-hmm. governs the universe and, uh, and the gospel, you know, is, uh, my only hope in life mm-hmm. and death and, and my joy is at stake. Mm-hmm. You know, God, um, is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe that's really true. And I think it's really biblical. Yeah. And so God's glory and me being joyful or me being satisfied mm-hmm. are not at odds. That's the same thing. Like God yeah. gets the glory. I get the joy. If you're listening, you'll hear me pray that way a lot yeah. for your glory and our joy. Um, and so I could unpack that a lot, but um, yeah. that's, that's something that's really shaped me in my adult life. Mm-hmm. How is, as a pastor, you spend time doing sermon prep and preparing. Mm-hmm. How is your time? Like, do you separate your time in the word as like your own just reading and praying from that kind of preparation or is it kind of one in the same? Like, what does that look like for you? Man, um, I do read my Bible, uh, usually in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just go through like, uh, the Bible in two years kind of plan. I've been doing that on repeat for the last, you know, five, six years. Yeah. Um, so that's just like a regular rhythm. Um, but you know what? I really feel like my sermon prep is devotional. Yeah. It really is. And I, I hear a lot of guys that they're like, man, my sermon prep just isn't, and I have to have a separate time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I find myself getting excited about what I'm seeing in God's word. Yeah. And it hopefully just kind of spills out. Like when I'm writing my sermon, it's almost like I'm transcribing myself preaching the text as I read it. Yeah. Or what, meaning it's not like I, I'm studying the text academically and then mm-hmm. I'm writing a term paper about it. That's not sure. how this is. It's like I'm thinking about it. I'm reading it. And then I it's like I'm preaching it in real time in my head. Yeah. And then I'm transcribing what I find in real time in my head with yeah. my fingers on the computer. And so it's like I'm speaking to myself and recording yeah. what I'm hearing. Does yeah, that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it's not like this cold academic thing. Yeah. It's um, I feel more passionate. Like my heart rate goes up a little bit, sure. and I start, you know, the fingers yeah. start flying. And, yeah. And um, so in that sense, I I do feel like genuine emotions about the text. Yeah. And um, 
how I want people to, to understand it and feel it. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if a lot of people know, because this was early Vine days, I think, that you were a ghostwriter. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about writing. <laughs> I just, do you miss that? Do you still do, no, do you still do that? No, let, let's back that train up. <laughs> there was, here's the backstory. Mm-hmm. You're famous and I didn't know it? <laughs> no. Um, almost famous. Okay. No. Uh so I, one of my part-time jobs, when the, we all had part-time jobs when we planted the church many years ago, one of my part-time jobs was to basically be a research assistant for hire okay. for someone at like a mega church who had, would have a big budget that could okay. hire. So like imagine the, the senior pastor of a church like Blackhawk or, you know, think of your, yeah. your, your favorite huge church and the senior pastor or lead pastor of that church would hire a guy like me. Mm-hmm. through this agency, like a booking agency. So the booking okay. agency would connect me. The, the, the lead pastor of the big church would connect the booking agency. Uh, and then the booking agency would connect me with that lead pastor okay. to be his research assistant for hire. Okay. And so, um, that, that, you know, it was great gig early on cause yeah. we needed the extra money and um, yeah. I got to do some things that were ministry related and research things that I, you know, I still have some, a lot of those files. That's awesome. But one of the opportunities was um, to write a thousand word, 750 word article about the, the significance of Easter. Okay. Um, as a ghost writer for a very, very popular megachurch pastor at mm-hmm. that time, who probably wouldn't be helpful to name. <laughs> um, and at the time, I said yes. Mm-hmm. I would never say yes again. Really? Because okay. ghostwriting is essentially lying. Sure. Like it's, yep. it's, oh, I don't, I have no clue why Christian publishers allow that. Sure. It's just lying. Sure. Like I didn't write this book, but my name's on it. Right. And it's, you know, you get it. It's money driven, but sure. Christians should not be operating in that space. I mean, that's just horrible. Yeah. And so thankfully um, it didn't get published. Oh, I didn't know and that. So, okay. No, it never went. It was it was getting pitched to CNN, religion section, and okay. all, all the usual suspects. Yep. Um, and this person had had articles that yeah. I guess were not written by him. Um, tragically, it happens all the time. That is sad. Um, I mean, when you break it down that way, I mean, you're right. Yeah, my name's on it, and it's not my work. Yep. Like you get thrown out of college for that. Yeah. And I wouldn't do, like, I would not want to put my name on someone else's words. Right. So I get Well, that. the way it was framed is, well, you'll submit it and then he'll tweak it a little bit to make it his voice. Sure. And it's like, really? Um, okay. <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, that's, I love there was, that. there was one incident yep. that never even got published. It, but, um, but I was a research assistant Okay, where it was like, Hey, I'm doing a sermon series on marriage. Yep. And we're going to do a sermon on divorce. So give me the, the five views of divorce, you know, throughout okay. Christian, throughout Christian history. And I would yeah. write up a brief okay. and send it to the pastor. And okay. then he would use that just to help him in his sermon prep or whatever. Interesting. Yeah. Would you do that if you had the resources? Um, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could see it'd be helpful, but it's like, I don't know. Uh, I don't, 
Yeah, I probably would. Like for that recent sermon on eschatology and yeah. like the the views of how to interpret Matthew 24 yep. and is it the temple or is it Jesus's returning? Is it the destruction of Jerusalem? You know, I spent probably 40 hours on that sermon yeah. just doing a ton of research to have someone summarize that stuff for me. Yeah. Um, that's not normal for my sermon prep at all. But um, so, yeah, maybe I would. I don't yeah. know. I, I like to do things by committee. Like I like to like verbally sure. process. So right. to me, I could see there'd be like a benefit in like getting someone else's. But I know other people that just like, you know, need to do it on their own. Sure. And I would maybe put you in that camp. Oh, for sure. I do not like, <laughs> um, I don't enjoy uh, committee meetings in the least. <laughs> um, but, but um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> So I hear you saying we're not going to form a committee. <laughs> I'll have to pray about that. Okay. Keep me posted. <laughs> I mean, so many churches just die a slow death by committee. You know yes. what I mean? And it's just yes. like, like, I've got such baggage with, like, we have lots of committees, but we don't do anything. Right. And everyone just sits around and talks about things, but there's no execution. Yes. You know, and. Or everyone's afraid to say something hard, and so nothing gets done. And yeah. well, it's just a lack of leadership. Yeah, it's like for we sure. can have committees, but we just need to have a point person for like, who's sure. ultimately bearing the responsibility. Yes, you know, I think that's where most churches go wrong. Is, yeah. So anyway, we don't. That's a rabbit trail. <laughs> we could go down for a while. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, tell me about your church growing up. I don't think I know. Yeah. Where... So I was raised in a mega church before mega churches were like a thing. Nice. So um, you started is what I'm hearing. You started mega churches. It was you. <laughs> yeah. As a four, four year old. Um, no, I mean, it was a huge church, uh, in Cedar Falls, Iowa, uh-huh. massive Lutheran church. Um, you know, 4,000 people on Christmas and Easter. And, was it you know, Nazareth? Probably, yeah. Nazareth Lutheran. It was big always. That's amazing. Oh yeah, it was. It okay. was big. I mean, it's nowhere near that big anymore. Okay. But back then, there was a really, um, really, really good preacher named Homer Larson. Oh, what a name! Yeah, that's amazing. And he was there for forty years. Okay. And um, most Lutheran churches, like ELCA, would not correspond with what we teach here at the Vine. Okay. Um, in terms of you know lots of different things. Um, but most importantly, like the gospel and what does it mean to be saved and is it Christ alone, um, by faith alone, you know? Um, but I was in a unique Lutheran church, ELCA, where the pastor was kind of the black sheep of the denomination because he preached repent and believe like Mm -hmm. a genuine, um, turn from your sin, Mm -hmm. turn to Christ. Mm -hmm. He's your only hope. And, um, and so I heard the gospel every Sunday. Yeah. Um, and my youth group experience uh, bore that out where I really okay. learned, I, I became a Christian, you know, um, probably, I mean, I, I don't really know. I didn't have a moment, um, but for okay. sure my faith was solidified in junior high, high school with a really good okay. youth group experience where the gospel was presented mm-hmm. and um, it was taught. And, um, and so that was my church growing up, you know, really, mm-hmm. very, uh, conservative, um, in the sense of like, if somebody would like raise a hand in worship, like you would think they're having a seizure or something, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> For it, sure. it was so like just buttoned up <laughs> uh-huh. high church. I mean, it's about as close to Catholic yeah. in terms of the worship style as yeah. you could find. Okay. Um, and at the time I thought it was dumb and just 
just you know like we're we're like liturgy robots here yeah um looking back i see the benefit of uh more of a strict and structured liturgy okay but um you know the thing that they never did was explain why and that's what i want our church to do like in in service you should know why yeah we're confessing our sins yeah and For I think sure. our service hosts, you know, usually do a good mm-hmm. job explaining that. Yeah. Like why are we taking the Lord's Supper? Yeah. Why are we reciting the Apostles' Creed? Yeah. You know, it just all those elements in 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 a in a service need to be explained, mm-hmm. or else yeah. it just turns into dead orthodoxy because it's yeah. just we just do the same thing week after week. Well, why are we doing that? I'm not sure. It's just what we do. Right. You know, you have to connect the dots for people, um, and then it, yeah. then it really becomes meaningful. Yeah, for sure. Did you stay at NAS through college? I did not. I uh, got my first job as a worship leader at Orchard Hill Church. Okay. Um, and it was that back then um, there was this movement called seeker sensitive uh-huh. um, worship, yeah. where the idea was we need to have drums and guitars and make things cool and relevant because the church is uncool and irrelevant. <laughs> And so you want the church to look more like the culture mm-hmm. to get the people that don't believe from the culture to come to your church. Right. It's a good idea in, um, you know, it's a, it's a good idea on the, on the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, I think time has bore out that that's not a great model for discipleship. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you win them with is what you win them to, yeah. you know, um, and we don't need to go off on that, but. Um, that was, I was the, I was the first leader of contemporary worship, I think at a church in Cedar Falls, Iowa in 1996 and like drums and guitars in church in 1996 was a big deal. And churches were splitting over these things for sure. And it was, I mean, it's like, you know, like today the controversy is Trump or not, or how are you going to handle you know, race issues, how are you going to handle mm-hmm. COVID and masks? And that, that's what we've been dealing with the last 15 years. But yeah. in 1996, it was, you know, if you have drums in church, some people thought you were like, you know, in, in alignment with the devil. No, I've had, I have had these conversations. I and I, you know? I mean, yeah, cause we're close enough in age that I do. Like right. we lived that as well. <laughs> and so, um, but that really just kind of set the trajectory for my pastoral career because yeah. I started working in churches as a musician and, um, yeah. and then, you know, one thing leads to another, but yeah. Are you a little envious of pastors back then? Just having to battle the terror of drums versus, I mean, well, every, always... every generation has its controversies. Sure. I mean, you can just look through church history, just read your Bible yeah. and you can see what the controversies were yeah. in Corinth or in Galatia or in, Thessalonica. Um, so every, every generation will have its controversies Mm -hmm. like 10 years ago or 15 years ago. It was like the, the boogeyman of postmodernism. Yeah. Or it was the emergent church. Has anybody ever heard of the emergent church? Not anymore, but like, but 15 years ago or 10 years ago, like that was the threat to the church. Um, you know, in the eighties it was inerrancy or not. That was the big debate. Um, so yeah, like no matter what, you're gonna as a pastor, you're gonna have yeah. people stirred up about different things, and it's just that it just goes with the territory. Sure, that makes sense. One of the early um, 
catchphrases. I don't know if that feels weird to say, but kind of, of the vine was like preaching the gospel to yourself. Yeah. And I feel like we don't say it a lot anymore. Really? Not as much. I mean, it was, and maybe... Maybe it's me. Maybe it became no, no, no. so normal. I, I, you could be right. I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah, no, but that, I just know that that was such a big part of the vine starting and was like a profound thought, you know, of like, what does it mean to right. preach the gospel right. to yourself? So what would you say? Like, how do you unpack that? Yeah, for sure. It's it's the whole idea that, you know, my parents were raised in a Christian environment where the gospel saves you mm-hmm. and then the gospel's done functionally in your life because yeah. you believed it. Yeah. And you, then that's what got you saved. Yeah. And so now that living the life of holiness or living the life of remembrance of who you are in Christ mm-hmm. is really up to you. So get to work. Yeah. And, yeah. and so it was like, have a good quiet time, read your Bible, pray, da, 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 da. And then you'll be good to go. Yeah. And, and it's kind of a work. You would never say this out loud again, but it's, it's, it's a kind of a works based mentality yep. that wears people out and yep. brings, um, brings a sense of self-condemnation when you don't achieve. Yeah. Um, and so like we would teach that the gospel functions to save you, theological term justification mm-hmm. and sanctify you, mm-hmm. meaning help you grow yeah. in holiness, help you grow into the image of Christ, Romans eight. Yeah. And so wh- how do I do that? Well, I have to remember who I am. Well, how do I do that? Well, I have to remember what Christ did for me. Yeah to achieve who I am. Yeah. Like it, I didn't achieve anything. He achieved everything. Yeah. And so right now I'm even doing it. I'm preaching mm-hmm. the gospel to myself. My feet hit yeah. the floor in the morning and I go, okay, what am I all about? Oh, I'm all about yeah. being like Christ. Yeah. You know what I mean? And how does that happen? Well, that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. because Jesus died and he rose again and ascended and is seated in, in, in heaven yeah. with all authority and he sent his Holy Spirit to empower me to yeah. um, to to live like him mm-hmm. and repent when I fail. And so I just have to keep remembering that. Yeah. So another way to say it would be yeah. read the Old Testament and see how often God reminds his people who they are. He yeah. says, remember, remember, remember. And that's one of the yeah. things that I think is grossly um, underemphasized in Christian circles is that For Christians sure. are people of remembrance. Yeah. We are people of remembrance. And um, I just went to a conference. And mm-hmm. I was telling Kim, uh, she asked me, like, well, what did you think of the conference? It was the Acts 29 Pastors Conference and great teaching. And, yeah. and I said, ultimately, babe, I think it's just, these are all things that I know, yeah. but I don't meditate on them. I don't preach yeah. them to myself. It's another way of yep. saying it is meditating on these things. For sure. I need to be reminded. Yeah. I need to be reminded that my value as a pastor is mm-hmm. not in my performance. Mm-hmm. I know that's true. And yeah. I would preach that message at a pastor's conference too. But <laughs> I don't remind yeah. myself of that every single day. Yeah. And the gravitational pull of my, my flesh yeah. and the, my sinfulness can tend towards, oh, I need to impress people. I need to mm-hmm. perform. Mm-hmm. And the speaker at the conference reminded me, no, 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 that's not. My righteousness is yeah. not in what I achieve. My righteousness is what Christ achieved for me and is credited to me when I come to yeah. him by faith. And so I'm just telling Kim, I need to remember this. Yeah. I just need to be reminded of this. And so, you know, we can be functional unbelievers if we don't yep. preach the gospel to ourselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just another way of saying, read your Bible. Yeah. Because the Bible will remind you who you are. Yeah. The remind the Bible will remind you who God is yeah. and then who you are in light of who God is. Yeah. And um 
And so that's the thought there. Yeah. I love it. Do you have a favorite verse passage mm-hmm. book of the Bible? Yeah, there's so many, but mm-hmm. I think, um, I would probably, uh, land on Romans eight thirty two. Sure. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not along with him graciously give us all things? Yeah. So basically the, the logic there is if God sent his son, yeah. God sent himself, the second person of the Trinity in Jesus mm-hmm. to die for me. Mm-hmm. Will he not also provide for me? Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and, uh, I think that's like the gospel there. Yeah. He who did not spare his own son, but gave mm-hmm. him up for us all. That's a gospel summary. Yep. How will he not along with him graciously give us all things? Yeah. That's a big all. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I don't have to worry in this life because God provides. Mm-hmm. He did the hard thing of sending himself to die for me. Yeah. He can do the easy thing of paying my mortgage or, yeah. you know, my kids being okay or, you know, what am I going to do with yeah. my life? Like he's going to provide. Yeah. So the, the gospel is the foundational promise. And yeah. on that, we build all these other things that God yeah. says, I, I got you. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. When did that emerge for you kind of as your favorite? Probably verse? through reading John Piper books okay. in my twenties. Okay. And he um, has written about that verse a lot. Yeah. Um, Romans eight is just such a powerful section of scripture. Yeah. Um, so that might be the one that's um, it, it's Romans eight thirty two, but he's building a, yeah. a a logical case all through the chapter that yeah. that verse rests on. So I know for me, like my probably like if I had to name like my biggest area that I worry God won't provide or I get most worried about is that I'm scared I'll be alone mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, a people person. Yeah. So for you, like what is that maybe like bigger worry for you? Like is it finances? Is it family? Is it church? Is it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think where I get, where I see my flesh kind of, um, that's the fancy biblical term for just sin where my sinful desires kind of emerge is when I feel like I am not, um, living up to the standards Mm. that I, that I feel like I have to achieve for people to respect me and know me and like me. Okay. That would probably be the most honest answer. Um, like I, I think I grew up as a kid recognizing that if you could do something with excellence, mm-hmm. people will like you and respect you. Yeah. And I just wanted people to like me. And respect. I don't like feeling on the outside. Yeah. I don't like feeling like, like, um, I'm not included. And there was opportunities in, in school for me to feel that way. Yeah. And I think I figured out early on if I could, um, be unique, mm-hmm. um, I could have confidence. Yeah. Um, and so I poured myself into playing basketball and that's what okay. I did, um, from seventh grade to 12th grade, just religiously okay. very, very, I mean, people who know me know that I'm a bit of an obsessive about certain things and I just obsessed about that. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and I found that that didn't satisfy. Yeah. And, um, the Lord took that away. Um, and, uh, and I wasn't that good. Uh, but anyway. All that to say is I recognize that impulse very early on. And if it's, if I'm not careful and I'm not preaching the gospel to myself, those kind of things will show up in different ways where it's like, um, I need to, 
leverage relationships so that I can feel good about myself or I need to um, make sure I'm um, I'm showing off the things that I can do so that I can Mm -hmm. get respect or something because feeling disrespected or feeling unnoticed is like the worst thing in the world yeah Um, and these are all I mean this is just like lies from the enemy for sure but yeah that's if you want to know that's probably where of course we want to know yeah (laughs) that's where uh like the ground zero of a lot of my struggles um would be probably yeah thank you for sharing that I think that's I don't know it's good to be able to share and know about each other um This is a really important question. Do you enjoy woodworking because Jesus was also a carpenter? (laughs) You know, it's funny. I tell people that and they're always like, oh, you're a pastor and a woodworker. Great combination. (laughs) I Um, didn't think about that until I thought about sitting down to have this conversation. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's just a habit. Like um, I had a crisis, uh, let's see, six years ago. where I was kind of imploding with anxiety and depression. Um, and we could talk about that if you want to, but, um, pretty debilitated by it in terms of deviating from what normal behavior for me is. Mm -hmm. And I started seeing a a doctor and a counselor. And one of the things my counselor said is, man, you you need to get a hobby. Um, and I had hobbies, but it's just like ministry as a pastor, it's like parenting. You never arrive. Mm-mm. You it's, you never go from point A to point B. You just go, right. you start at A and then you keep going and there's like a new A or the mm-hmm. A just morphs and changes and you just keep going. Yep. But you're never done. Mm-mm. You never arrive. And so that's why rest is so important. Yeah. And sabbaticals or vacation weeks are so important for all of us. Um, yeah. But even more so for, for pastors, I think. But woodworking is different where it's mm-hmm. like I take this thing from point A to point yes. B and it's done. Yeah. And that sense of completion is very satisfying. Yep. Um, and so I think that's probably why I'm sort of addicted to it. Yeah. Because there's that rush of like, oh, I completed this. It's like an endorphin thing. Yep. And um, and so that's why I really like it. I'm not that great. Um, I watch these guys on YouTube that are just geniuses with woodworking. And I'm, <laughs> you know, but I, I just enjoy having a shop and. You know, I'm I'm not a natural like guy okay. that works with his hands, but you know you buy the right tools and you um and you have the right YouTube videos to watch. You can <laughs> crank out some stuff. So. It is the beauty of the internet that I it feel is. like you can almost find a tutorial on anything. <laughs> yeah, I hate the internet and I love it. You <laughs> yes. know what I mean? It's the best and the worst all at the same time. For sure. Um. My next question would be, you mentioned the anxiety and depression, and yeah. you've spoken about that over the years. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, it was really helpful to hear you speak about that mm-hmm. and to be honest about being on medication. Yeah. And I also am someone that really leans towards anxiety. And so it opened a space for me to be like, it is okay to be on medication. It might be okay, I think. Sure. No, that, that's a good distinction. Sorry. I just, no, no, it's because I, I, it is good to discuss those things, but I didn't know yeah, if yeah. you wanted to discuss sure. that at all. Cause it yeah, was, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, Amy. no, that's um, okay. I do think that's an important distinction though, because yep. we don't want to just throw pills at people. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and, uh, I have people very close to me that I've seen try to medicate their problems away yeah. and it doesn't work. No, it you does know what not. I mean? Yep. 
So medication or not is a wisdom issue. Yep. I, I wouldn't say, I don't think it's a biblical issue. I think, yeah. it, I mean, the Bible informs lots of things um, that, that lead us in the direction of what's wise or not. Yep. Um, the Bible doesn't talk about yeah. whether you should take pills or not. Right. Um, but, um, so I think th- there's ways that we can take what the Bible says and apply that as wisdom for yep. whether you should or not and where you find yourself mm-hmm. in life. Um, so for me, I, um, let's see, what, what are we talking? What did you want to ask me? Really? Just <laughs> if you wanted to unpack that. And for me, I was coming from a place of, because of my personality, because of my spiritual upbringing, there was this pressure that if you work hard enough and if you pray enough and mm-hmm. if you do all of the right things, mm-hmm. you will be fine. Yeah. And I had hit a place where I had done a lot of the hard work. I had done right. a lot of the therapy. I had done a lot of the growing and I was still having these physiological, irrational right. experiences. And so right. it was really from my perspective, freeing to be like, there's a place for me to love Jesus and still need this help. Sure. And so that's really where I'm coming from is just to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Because I think there is a fear from a lot of people. Sure. That somehow it's a spiritual failure. Sure. Yeah. Um, it might be. Sure. Uh, but it might not be. Yeah. You know, and so this is how I've kind of thought about it. Um, is like you, 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 I I run, I would run this diagnosis with myself and I would submit it to other people. So before I start taking pills to deal with my anxiety and depression, Mm -hmm. I want to ask some questions like, like if a guy is cheating on his wife and he comes to me and says that he's anxious, I'd be like, brother, you don't need pills. You need repentance. Right. Like I'm not surprised that you're anxious because you're clearly in sin. Yeah. Um, and you haven't dealt with that. Mm -hmm. Um, so like what's going on in my life? Mm -hmm. Um, if you come to me and say that you're riddled with depression and your mom just died of a horrible Mm -hmm. battle with cancer and she, you watched her waste away. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe you just need to exist in that space of grief because you don't want to medicate away the grief. Right. Um, so but like a lot of times there's, there's nothing that you can really pinpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I would say, uh, like, so you would start with like spiritual disciplines, the normal means of being a Christian. I'm, I'm, yep. I'm, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible. I'm mm-hmm. practicing generosity. I'm practicing mm-hmm. repentance and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I am, um, engaging with unbelievers. I'm engaging with other believers in community. Yeah. Yep. Check that box. Yep. Is it perfect? No, but I'm, I'm doing it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, I think I'm loving the Lord with all of my heart as, mm-hmm. as best as I know, I know I'm able. And then you just go down other things like life experiences, you know, yeah. like again, did my mom just die? Yeah. Am I engaged in some hidden sin that nobody knows about yeah. that is just, you know, gonna come out somehow, you know? Um, no, none of that stuff was, yeah. everything seemed to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, how about eat, sleep and exercise? You mm-hmm. know, if you're eating horrible and not sleeping and you're sedentary, mm-hmm. you know, that will have an effect on you mentally. Sure. You know, ask anybody who has a newborn, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, sleep, deprivation, sleep deprivation will wreck 
you yeah. as a human being. Mm-hmm. So you might not need pills. You mm-hmm. might need to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So how's, how is it like, how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing emotionally? How are you doing physically? Yep. Yeah. And, and sometimes if all of those boxes are checked and everything still just feels like mm-hmm. you're coming unglued. The other thing I would say is how far are you deviating from the norm of who you are? Sure. So one of the things for me was I was having um, like episodes of crying mm-hmm. that would come over me like like I was possessed by something. It was yeah. very, very bizarre. Yeah. Um, I'm not a crier. Yeah. I mean, I cry way more than uh, after having kids than before kids. Yeah. Like I probably cried once between junior high and when Taylor was born. And I think that's when okay. I broke up with Kim in college. Um, but clearly you got back together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I was not a crier. Okay. Um, and six years ago, I would have these like episodes where mm-hmm. it would be like, everything's fine. I just had a great workout at the gym, walk yeah. into my car, and my brain would be like, you're going to start crying now. And I'd say to myself, that's dumb. Why would I do that? And the other side of my brain yeah. would say, too bad. Here you go. And I would just start sobbing. Oh, it's weird, but yeah. it's so bizarre yeah. when you can't pinpoint it to anything. Right, right. And it's like something is going wrong with me, and I have no idea what this is. Yeah. And through counseling, I learned that that's actually really normal for someone dealing with anxiety and depression. Yeah. I just thought I was losing my mind. Right. Um, or look at my mom, who had a track record of that yeah. when I was a kid, and be like, Dude, she's weird. Like, what's the deal here? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um. So how far are you deviating from the norm of what your norm is? Like if mm-hmm. Kim starts crying, like that's not a deviation. Right. Like she cries every day. I mean, that's an overstatement. <laughs> but Kim's a crier. Yeah. You know, she cries when she's happy. She cries when she's frustrated. Yeah. She cries when she's sad, you know. But like for me, that was an extreme deviation. Yeah. Um, having these horrible, um, anxious thoughts about just social anxiety. Yeah. You know, like I cannot bring myself to talk to this person. And I started canceling appointments. Yeah. Like I just, I can't, I can't be around people. Like just doing this with you right now, Amy, would have been debilitating. Yeah. And that's very, very not like me. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it seemed like wisdom was for me to try Mm -hmm. uh, a medical help. Yep. And, um, one of the first things my counselor said, cause he recommended that is a mm-hmm. Christian believer. Um, he's been on the podcast, Dr. Yeah. David Murray. Encourage he's amazing. To, yeah. I heard you go, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast from early on. Cause we talk about these things a lot. Um, but you know, he said, if you try to use this as your savior, mm-hmm. um, it's not going to work. Right. Um, like you have to think of your life holistically and mm-hmm. a medical help that can deal with something chemical in mm-hmm. your body might be, you know, a 10% slice of the pie. Yeah. But the other 90% are the things we already talked about. Like, you know, my relationships yeah. with God and with others, mm-hmm. um, eat, sleep, exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what are, what are the lies I'm believing? Mm-hmm. Um, am I, am I seeking to fight the lies in my brain with my Bible open? Um, mm-hmm. so, for me, uh, I tried going off mm-hmm. my meds, um, gosh, that's probably three years ago. Cause I was feeling great okay. and I just went off and it just, it seems like, uh, it just 
didn't work for me. Yeah. Um, and I just started having all of these weird, um, weird emotional, mm-hmm. social anxiety, uh, just the darkness. It's hard to describe. It's the, the other thing I realized is when I talk about this for people who haven't experienced it, it just sounds weird. Sure. Yeah. But if you have, it's very nice yeah. to hear about. Right. Right. But I realize yeah. that it sounds really weird. Sure. Like this irrational darkness that you yeah. can't describe where everything like what for me, it is like um, I have this feeling like I need to quit my job. Yeah. Everybody hates me mm-hmm. and I need to just get out of here. Yeah. Like escapist fantasies are mm-hmm. raging in my brain. Yeah. Um, when I'm not in a good spot. Mm-hmm. And thankfully that's not really where I sit much anymore. Yeah. But those things started happening when I went off my meds. Yeah. Um, that doesn't, and I've been on meds uh, basically for six years now and I can yeah. still, like if I'm not doing the holistic things. Yep. Like if I just neglect my Bible, if I just neglect repentance, if I um, just never exercise and I mm-hmm. eat horrible and I'm not practicing good sleep, like my brain will mm-hmm. go bonkers. Yeah. Um, but it just seems like for me, uh, the meds help me. Yep. You know, it doesn't turn you into some superhero. Mm-mm. It just kind of rounds the edges off yep. to help you feel like yourself. Yep. Like, cause me like crying all the time and canceling appointments and wanting to like move right. to Montana and live by myself on a ranch with a log cabin, you know, like that's not me. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? That's not who yeah. I, who I think God has made me to be. <laughs> right. And, um, so it just helps. Yeah. It's just a help. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, um, so anyway. Yeah. Thanks for unpacking that. Yeah. I can ask questions literally for 12 hours. I'm good. Okay, so you want to keep going? If you want, sure. I'm happy to. I just wanted to. Yeah, yeah we're good. Just wanted to touch base, see where you were at. Um, tell me a little bit about your family growing up. You're a little brother, right? Yes, older were, sister. Were you a a nice little brother? Um, I was definitely hyper. Okay. I like my my uh, sister always talks about how my dad was always just like Zach, you need to calm down, <laughs> like <laughs> pulling me to the side and like rebuking me for being a spaz. Um, <laughs> And yeah, definitely hyper. Uh, let's see. Yeah. So older sister. Um, and uh, I thought at the time that my family was the perfect little Christian family. And then as okay. an adult, you look back and go, oh, wait, we weren't. Sure. Um, but that's what you thought. Yeah. You know. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Are you close? I know your dad has passed away. Are you yeah. close with your mom? Yeah. Um, we don't chat a lot mm-hmm. um, in terms of like some people like talk on the phone with their parents like every yeah. other day. That's never been our style. Yeah. But um, my mom is a sweet woman and she um, prays for me all the time. Yeah. And um, I pray for her. And so we, uh, you know, we there's no animosity whatsoever. You know, my parents were raised in a generation where you don't like tell each other you love each other and like yeah. engaging on an emotional level. It's just not something that you do. Right. And so I wasn't really raised that way. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the consequences of that is you don't have this deep sense of connectedness um, yeah. as you get older. But and that's nobody's fault. It's just the way it was, sure. you know. And so you kind of know that. And, yeah. Um, so there's not like a deep heart level um, connectedness. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely love. Yeah. And, and honestly, after my dad passed away six years ago... Um, that has deepened. 
yeah. I think with my mom and my sister and, and things that are hard like that really s- tend to draw people together. Sure. So that's awesome. This is kind of an abrupt shift, but, um, so I didn't say this in the beginning. I went to college where you went to college. Right. I didn't grow up there, but I spent time in Cedar Falls, right. Iowa. And especially going back, I still have roommates that live there and we go back to visit and it is, it, it feels very Christian as a community, like as a town mm-hmm. and Madison is very not right. And so tell me like, how do you feel about, I mean, I know you've lived other places in between, but how do you feel about living in Madison? Is it hard? Is it hard to be a pastor in Madison? I love Madison. I tell people that all the time. Um, It's a great city. It's perfect size. Mm -hmm. Enough to do, but and and traffic never gets you, you know, too angry. Um, Only a little. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Only when there's like a, you know, a a problem on the Beltline. But um, no, I love Madison. I, I I lived in Nashville where there's still like some leftovers of Christian culture okay. where there, there may be an advantage to saying you're Christian in certain places. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't exist here. Mm-mm. And I like that because it seems like if you're a Christian, like it's honest. Yeah, absolutely. And in the South, it feels a little dishonest because mm-hmm. people may be coming to church for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Um, because it's the thing to do or it's the cultural thing to do. It's the mm-hmm. hobby. It's just part of who we are without it meaning yeah. anything. But typically, if you're a Christian, Madison is going to mean something. Yep. And so you know what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's a broad brush. Sure. Um, but it's just different than yep. in the South. And um, I like that the lines are clearer. If you're yeah. an un- if you're if you're a Christian, you probably and you say you are, you probably are. Yeah. Um, of course, only God knows. You know, sure. and you can't know anything definitive about somebody's heart. But mm-hmm. it just, um, yeah, it's just. Uh, I like that it's, it's, uh, it's clear. Mm-hmm. So what's your favorite thing to do in Madison? Go out to dinner. <laughs> There's so many great restaurants. There are. Do it, you have a favorite? Oh my gosh. I don't know where to even start. Seriously. <laughs> like it's just, there's too many. Yeah. Like Kim and I get paralyzed on a date night. Like we have to pick like a, right. a region. Like, okay, let's go Monroe street. We're going to go somewhere in Monroe street or we're going to go somewhere in Monona. We're going to go somewhere yeah. in Atwood neighborhood. Yeah. We're going to go somewhere at Capitol square. Yep. Um, Papa Vero is an Italian place, okay. um, off a little bit off the Capitol square. That is okay. really, really good. Um, that might be a bit underrated. Okay. Um, Bar Coralini's great in the Atwood neighborhood. Yeah. Um, love that place. There's so many. Yeah. Heritage Tavern. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cooper's Tavern. Yep. Um, love Swad. Love some Indian on so Manila Drive. Yep. Yeah. I mean, this you can go on and on and on. It's fun that we have so many in a town this size. Like, I love that about Madison. Like, yeah, we just have like, a lot of variety and not a lot of chain restaurants. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh. We would never eat at Crapplebee's. How dare you? I mean, we're such snobs now. We are such snobs. I mean, when we were first married, like going to Crapplebee's was like It was a awesome. treat. Fiesta lime chicken? Yes, please. Um, but now we're like such snobs because we're just, there's so many great choices. I love it. Yep. You know? And yeah. if we were to move again, um, like we've been to big cities yep. with people that go to their favorite restaurants and I'm sitting here going like, this place is twice the size as Madison, but our food kills this. Right. 
And I just love that, that, you know, part of Madison. Yeah. Where it was just a great food culture. Yeah. Um, but were you excited? Well, I'm sure you've covered this in another podcast, so mm-hmm. I'm sorry if it's a, like a quadruple repeat question. Um, how is it decided for you guys to come and plant in Madison? And yeah. were you excited before you had been here? Um, yeah. So it was really, Nate and I were just talking about this at the pastor's conference. Um, it was, we wanted to be in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. We wanted to be in a college town. Mm-hmm. We wanted to be in a town that didn't have a dominant church culture already because we wanted to start a movement of church planting Mm -hmm. um and and we wanted to yeah that was pretty much it and i have no memories of there being big debate okay madison got thrown out and Mm -hmm. it was like obviously there wasn't huge debate because i would have probably remembered that Mm -hmm. but it was just i don't even remember i think madison got thrown out yeah and um the two other pastors besides my because i was living in albuquerque at the time they did a what I remember is they did a road trip up here to scout it out. Okay. And the other thing that I think took us over the edge was just every single person that I talked to about Madison was like, Madison's a cool city. Like okay. nobody ever said Madison. I mean, everyone's <laughs> like, oh, so liberal, rah, rah, scary liberal. <laughs> I mean, that's what Madison's known for. For sure. You know, blue dot and a, yep. a sea of red. <laughs> um, but everybody said Madison's a cool city. Yeah. You know, and um, so when you have those kind of reviews, yep. like, yeah, we like that it's liberal. We like that it's, yeah. I mean, whatever you want to make of that. We we like that there seems to be um, a need for Orthodox Christian yep. discipleship in yeah. in Madison. Um, we like that. Yeah. So we weren't turned off by that. Yeah. Um, and so it was a quick decision and i you know i was just telling a lot of people at the conference a few days ago like if we were to move from madison we don't have any plans to move from madison but if we did uh i know that i would miss it probably the most of any place we've lived oh i love I mean, that i can already sense that yeah you know what i mean just i think it's an ideal city i really do yeah so we love it here yeah oh i'm so glad i'm so glad you guys came <laughs> um so the vision was always to start a church planting movement. How do you see, I know that this has been touched on like family meetings and different things, but how do you see people fitting into the vine who maybe don't want to be on like the front lines of like a church planting team, like who are like, I'm going to come to the vine and I will, I will support you. I will pray for you. I'll give. And I'm on board with that, but I personally maybe don't want to go start another church. You nailed it. Yeah. You just said it. So you just have to do those things and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, we're all part of the team. Yeah. You know what I mean? We all have different gifts yeah. in the body. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, not everyone's going to be excited about being sent out. Yeah. Like, um, I'll never say never, but I don't think I'm, I, I mean, <laughs> I need to never say this because I always need to end stop. up eating my words. <laughs> I don't have any plans to yeah. be sent out myself. Right. Um, that could happen in the future, sure. of course. But um, I don't sense that desire. That doesn't feel like obedience yep. to me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. Like, uh, mm-hmm. But I'm going to give and I'm going to pray and mm-hmm. I'm going to be a part of it. And I'm going to be supportive of it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's, that's the key is um, am I excited about this vision yep. for the church um, not that I have to do it. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm not going to attend the women's conference 
but I'm going to be really supportive of it. Yeah. And I'm going to pray for it and support my wife, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so we're not going to always be a, not everyone's going to be a part of everything. For sure. That's Um, a great, great example. (laughs) Right. But there are things that we, you know, the baseline at the vine that we'd love all of our members to sign up for is just, I'm going to be faithful on Sunday because I need to yep. be in community. I need to hear God's word. I need to participate mm-hmm. in Lord's Supper. I need to sing together. Mm-hmm. Those are all baseline Christianity things. So I'm going to make yeah. Sunday morning a priority. Yeah. And I want to be in community around the word that serves our city. Um, yeah. And so I'm going to make city group a priority. Yep. And um, yeah, th- that's, you know, mm-hmm. Sunday morning, the gap of the group, the small group, the city group, uh, and be intentional with those that don't know the Lord. I mean, that's what we've always said we want our people yeah. to be about. Yeah, for sure. Is group gathering and who do you know and are intentional with that doesn't know Jesus? Mm-hmm. And how can you help them get to know Jesus? Yeah. Speaking of that, you have had more than one language partner over the years. Yeah. Are you still like, are yep. you still speaking with the same people? I have. Yeah. So, um, just a desire to, uh, be able to speak, uh, French and mm-hmm. Spanish and um, I'm way way behind on Spanish um, <laughs> but I, I'm highly functional in French now okay and I still have French language partners that okay. I meet with um, you know I've, I've been meeting with one for over four years That's one awesome. probably over six seven eight years um, a guy That's named a Fred. long time yeah we we've we've met in person once when I, I was in Paris it. okay and other than that it's just on online. So are these people who are actually in France that you're yes. speaking with? Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that. I so thought they were got, people from here. Yeah. So I've got one friend in Clermont-Ferrand <laughs> uh, and then one in Paris okay. in Paris. And then I've got a French guy that lives here in... But I've had many, many partners over the years okay. where you just get online and, and speak. Is it a specific like uh, program that you yeah, use? Yeah, there's different websites. It's yeah. basically like... This sounds dumb. But it's like a dating site for language learning That's where you awesome. put in your profile yep. and then they match you up with somebody yeah. and then you can sh- exchange contact information. And if it's a good fit, okay. you just keep talking. Yep. And so, you know, I've had probably 50 different people I've had conversations with in the last decade. Yeah. And then two or three, you know, they really stick. Okay. It's like, man, we hit it off. We're good yeah. friends, you know? And so it's really cool. Yeah. How do you... Are they also learning English? Yes. So okay. we'll do half and half. Oh, okay. And then we correct each other. And yep. It's, it's really, really helpful. Just yeah. Way to, and I've learned so much about, um, I had a guy in Algeria that I spoke with for a few years. Okay. I've learned a ton about French culture. Okay. Just like, cause I'm so super curious. Yeah. And love to learn like, you know, the idiosyncrasies of, of yeah. different cultures. And I think I'm at the level now where I could start doing this in Spanish, but it'd be super basic okay. and painful. Cause I can probably speak about as good as a three-year-old. <laughs> But that's just part of the process. For sure. You got to pass through it. But yep. I just, I'm, I love, that's one of the things I didn't really know about myself that I'm just, yeah. until going through all this is like, I, I never traveled out of the 48 states until um, 2011. And my dad took okay. me to France um, just on a vacation. Oh. And uh, it was like, wow, that really expanded my brain. Yeah. Um, and I'm just really, really curious about other cultures. Yeah. And I really love to travel now. And um, I just love to figure out, like, what makes you tick? And, yep. and um, how does your culture work? And mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just naturally very, very curious. Yeah. And so it's invigorating to me. And um, it's done a lot for my faith just to know that there's Christians all over the world that come from a different 
cultural world than us. And they believe the same things we do. Yeah. And I think it's really, really healthy for us spiritually. Yes. To get around believers that come from a different Mm -hmm. cultural world than you Mm -hmm. that love Jesus like you. Yeah. It's really, really good for you. I think it also like kind of like sifts out like what are things that you're holding on to that you've created to be your own Christian culture yes. that aren't biblical. Exactly. And so I think that that's like one of the really beautiful things about like it. Like drums in church. For sure. <laughs> like that's so stupidly cultural. Yes. Like you're not going to go over to Africa <laughs> if they have drums or go over right. to Australia if they have drums. Right. And be like, you guys are in sin. Right. It's like, no, that's just what they do. It's a part of their cultural right. art form. Right. You know, um, so... Yeah, yep. there's lots of things like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Did you start learning French and Spanish because of our partnerships? Mm, yes and no. So okay. I learned French in high school. My my best oh, teacher okay. I've ever had was my French teacher. And okay. I, I learned that I had a knack for it. Okay. I always got A's in French and not in like math and science. <laughs> um, and uh, so I was pretty good in college. I studied mm-hmm. it in college too. Um, and then I let it go for... Gosh, 15 years, 10 years. Okay. Um, and then when we decided to land with a partnership in Morocco, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, well, I should resurrect this so that I can help lead teams because yeah. Morocco is also French speaking. Yep. Um, and that was really motivating for me to resurrect it yeah. so that I could be functional yeah. um, leading a, a, a trip. And then I just, ca- just kind of f- fell in love with it yeah. um, the more I did it. And the more, it's just so cool to be able to climb into someone else's world when you speak mm-hmm. their language and yeah. they view it as a compliment Yeah, because you've taken the time to climb into their world. Yep. And I don't know why I can't explain it. It's just like, why do you like chocolate versus vanilla? Sure. It just is. Yeah. I just love that. Yeah. It's very, very, it's like I become an extrovert. I become you <laughs> when I'm, when I'm speaking French, you know, I'm just That's so motivated. Awesome. Like Kim will tell you, like when we go to Paris, on the way to Morocco or if we just go to Paris because uh-huh. I love it or go to the South of France just because I, I love it. Um, like I'm just, I'm just raring to go. I'm not an introvert anymore. I love that. It's, it's really weird, <laughs> but I, it just is. I just, yep. I'm just fascinated by other cultures. Yeah. And James Davenport thinks that we're going to leave and become missionaries or something um, or be church planners overseas. I don't know if that'll happen. Um, Amy's shaking her head. No, um, I don't know if that'll happen. Um, but I do just have a genuine love to be a part of seeing God's kingdom expand in places that don't speak, speak English. Yeah. Did you not travel because your family didn't travel time resources? Just were you scared? No, I just never had the opportunity. Okay. Um, you know, uh, yeah. In my twenties we were just doing lots of other things Mm -hmm. and didn't have any money. Yeah. Um, and my dad paid for that first trip. I just yeah. went along. And um, so that was more, probably more of it. I wasn't a huge fan of flying either. Okay. And that probably, but no, it's just like all, none of my friends and their, no, no one was doing trips to anywhere yeah. Yeah. You know, other than, unless it was a mission trip. Yeah. And um, it just wasn't on the radar. It seems like when mm-hmm. you get older, like it maybe gets more on the radar, like, hey, we should explore the world a little more. Yeah. And that's certainly a huge privilege. I recognize that. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, I think it's really a way to deepen your faith mm-hmm. and like, look at how creative God is mm-hmm. reflected in what his creation yeah. has produced in civilizations and yeah. cultures. And yeah, 
I, it's just really, really good for us. So if you have the opportunity yeah. to go, go anywhere, get out of the yeah. United States. It's so important. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you said you didn't really like flying. Are you a thrill seeker? Not at all. Really? Would you think of me as one? If I had to guess, yeah. Really? I don't oh, know no. why. Maybe because no. you seem so confident and are unafraid to say things. And so I'm like, of course you would want to just like jump off a I don't think I enjoy tower. physical pain. <laughs> like I, I mountain bike a lot. Okay. But I'm not very crazy. Like I, want, I don't want to break okay. my wrists because I like to play guitar and piano. Oh, uh, for sure. I'm very cognizant. Like um, I'm a pretty safe driver. I don't – I'm not like racing down the highway ever. Like, um, like, uh, one of our first Ecuador trips, Elliot Cansini jumped off a bridge, yeah, bungee jumping. Like, there's no chance I would do that. Is there no chance that you would do that today, but you maybe would have done it? Nope. You never would have. No, I've never been a thrill seeker like that. That I don't, is like, fascinating. Yeah, I didn't, I'm not a fan of. I think to me, like getting on a stage and performing in front of thousands of people would be like a thrill-seeking moment. And so that I would have... That is really fascinating. I, don't, I, I can't explain it. Yeah. Um, I've always felt comfortable in front of people. I've never... Uh-huh. Like everyone talks about the fear of public speaking. Yeah. I don't relate to that. I mean, I, that's not true. That's not fair. I, I do relate to that when I was younger. I think it's just a function of... You, the more you do it, the way easier it gets. Yes, so absolutely. So I have zero, zero fear of being on stage anymore. Sure. Um, public speaking. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like myself, I feel most alive in that space, yeah. but yeah, that is interesting. I don't know why that is. Maybe there's just something different between the verbal and the physical. Yeah, for sure. Like I, um, I mean, and you're allowed, you're allowed to have that. It just, no, it, but it is, it is yeah. interesting to think about that distinction. Cause yeah. I've never been a thrill seeker, like skydiving or bungee yeah. jumping or driving crazy down the highway or, um, I've always had a, a thought to like, what would happen if, and let's avoid that. Like, interesting. I don't want to break a bone. I don't want to be in the hospital. And so, yeah. So you're very responsible. I think so in a lot of ways. That's very interesting. Um, <laughs> with like my physical body. Okay. I think so like, I don't enjoy pain. Uh huh. Um, you know, but I think that's different than a verbal form of communication. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You had said at one point that you had a good appendix removal story. Is that a podcast story or not? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, junior year in high school, come home from basketball game on Friday night Mm -hmm. and I had a horrible stomach ache. And I thought I was just, you know, had the stomach flu. Uh Go to bed um, and not a good night's sleep. Did not vomit or have diarrhea, thankfully. Um, but I got up that next morning. I couldn't stand up straight because the okay. pain was so intense. Yeah. And so mom takes me to the doctor. Um, and I remember vividly telling her to slow down driving on a, you know, on a street that mm-hmm. the speed limit was 20 miles per hour. I remember telling her vividly, you need to slow down because the little bumps mm-hmm. on the road hurt my yeah. stomach. I never had pain like that before. Yeah. And, uh, so go to the doctor and he's like, he checks me out and he's like, yeah, we're going to have to, 
we're going to take you to the hospital right now. Okay. I remember calling my basketball coach. So we had a game that night on Saturday oh. night. And I can still see it in my mind. <laughs> and I got all choked up. I'm like, coach, oh. I'm not going to make it to the game tonight. <laughs> I have to go to the hospital. <laughs> and um, I love it. So I uh, went to the hospital <laughs> and the surgeon checked me out too. And he's like, yep, we got to take your appendix mm-hmm. out. Well, back then they didn't do laparoscopic. Uh, and so oh. I have like a three inch incision on my, on my belly yeah. and, um, my incision got infected <gasps> and, uh, and so it wasn't like a typical two day turnaround. I had to stay in the hospital for a week with this open wound, you know, where they'd oh, come in and no. dump. It, yeah. I mean, it's this big, yep. like inch and a half long mm-hmm. thing that was just open. They couldn't sew it up cause it was infected Yeah, and they'd come in three times a day and dump hydrogen peroxide in it and. I uh, I had my first experience with a catheter. Not a fan. Not a fan. But also these drugs that like make you not able to go to the bathroom. Uh-huh. That was very, very scary and traumatizing. Okay. So I had to have a catheter. Also traumatizing. <laughs> when like, you know, these female nurses are, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with you in ways that I'd never been dealt with before. So not my favorite. But what was even worse oh, is I, I overdosed it. on a drug called Demerol. And um, it's uh, they don't use Demerol anymore, uh, but it was just a pain med. And, you know, you heard me say I don't like pain. Right. And so I was just, you know, hitting the button or whatever. And I was sit- I was sitting on the toilet and I stood up and it was like my whole body went rigid. It was oh, very, no. very strange and frightening. And. It was, it's hard to describe. It's like if you're flexing your muscle, Uh like you flex your bicep right now, it's like it wouldn't release from being flexed through my whole body. Oh no. And so, you know, I couldn't talk because like your mouth muscles, Mm -hmm. you know, make you talk. Yeah. Like your tongue. I was just like, and the nurses didn't know what the heck was going on. So they kind of dragged me back to bed and I'm just laying there like, like, Because mentally I was fine, Uh but I didn't know what was happening to me. No. And it just kind of wore off after a few hours. And but it was the scariest night of my life. You were like that for a few hours? (gasps) Zach, that's so scary. It was very scary. And I couldn't articulate anything. No. I couldn't talk. My body just went rigid. Oh, no. But I was still breathing. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know what happened, but all I remember is the next morning that the surgeon was like, we're going to take you off Demerol. (laughs) I'm like, thank you. Like... It was weird. Oh. It was so weird. So, like, I'm not a fan of hospitals. That was traumatizing. No. So, have you had any other injuries, surgeries since then? Um, nothing like that. Okay. Nope. That is. I think a- that's the only time I was hospitalized. Pretty sure. That's a pretty big bummer. I mean, that does not sound fun. Had no. your appendix burst? No. Okay. But it's uh, it was close. I think. Okay. It was, it was definitely time to come out. Okay. Yeah. So did your mom or one of your parents stay with you while you were in the hospital? No. I mean, they were there a lot, of course. Yeah. But no one, I mean, I was in high school. I was fine. Lots of visitors. Um, I love My friends that. came. And yeah. I'd lo- I remember having lots of visitors. But I also remember just being on these drugs and I could, literally couldn't keep my eyes open. Yeah. You know, just so tired. People would come visit me and I would just be like, I'm so sorry, but I cannot stay awake right now and just be like out. <laughs> 
I love you know, it. So it's kind of foggy. So were you out for the rest of your basketball season? Um, no, okay. but I remember that incision took a while to heal. Um, you know, on all those muscles, you know, all the ladies out there, if you've had a C-section, you yep. know, it's similar to that, but it's just a lot smaller. But like those muscles in your abdomen, you know, take forever to heal. And, yep. and so that took a while. So it, what I hear you saying is that this ruined your basketball career. <laughs> Actually, it was that plus my senior year, I um, had an injury to my elbow. And Aww. that um, that like really I look back on that because I would have played uh, basketball at a small college. I'm not athletic yep. enough to play D1 or D2. I would have played a small college. Yeah. Um, but the Lord uh, really enabled me to go to the University of Northern Iowa. And I started yeah. focusing on music. And just the basketball thing was just over. Yeah. And um, that was that was a good thing. Okay. I feel like I should know this, but what was your major? I was actually a religion major. I started That's in right. um, I started in education because I thought I was going to be a French teacher and a basketball coach. Oh, I love it. And then I got in the classroom and I discovered I do not enjoy trying to teach <laughs> apathetic high school kids to say, je voudrais avoir un coca or whatever, you know, like that, that was like. I, I got in the classroom uh-huh. and I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. <laughs> These kids don't care and I need to be around people that care. And, uh, oh. and then I just switched to religion major, okay. which got me out in four years. Uh, kind of a dumb degree qualifies me to go to grad school, which I did. And okay. Go to get your master's and, and become a pastor. Was grad school becoming a pastor or did well, you? Well, I was a music pastor. And, um, and then I got my master's at Covenant Seminary. Okay. All correspondence. Okay. Um, from like 2002 to 2009. Okay. Did you like doing it that way? Um, yes, because I didn't have to uproot my family and the churches okay. I worked in paid for it most of the time. Oh, nice. So it was a nice perk. Um, yeah. That, just a benefit that a lot of churches gave me. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like I didn't have the campus experience, yeah. but I also didn't have any debt. Sure. And um, so really thankful for no no master's debt and the family wasn't uprooted. Yeah. So it was great. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't know that I have a question. I can come up with another one if you want to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't have one like right there. That's all good. I think we're good. I mean, this okay. this is uh, 90 minutes of <gasps> Shut up. It's been 90 minutes. amazing interview with you, Amy. So we may have to have you back or maybe I'll have you as a co-host or something. I'm all in. I feel really good about it. All right. I like to chit chat. I I can tell you're great (laughs) at it. Thank you. I really appreciate this. And thanks for, um, yeah, just making me talk about things that people might not know. And so appreciate you and your family and for being around for so long. And you're one of the veterans, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's not that many of us no. anymore because nope. Madison's so transient. Everybody moves away. Yep. All right, Amy Anderson. <laughs> so, Amy, do you have any parting words you want to share with the Vine Conversations audience? I do. I just want to thank you for doing this with me and yeah. just kind of affirm our church Um in that we have leaders who will sit down with us and talk to us really candidly and we value authentic communication as a church. And I just have valued that in my own life. And I'm so thankful that that's how we do life as a church yeah. and that there isn't this barrier and that I feel like I could come at, come to you with any question and we could talk it out. And yeah. I just think that that's been really important for my own faith journey. And so I'm mm. thankful 
for this opportunity. Um, I'd also like to dedicate this episode to Laurel Eccles <laughs> for starting my podcast career. Yes. Your, your maiden voyage. I think you did a great job, Amy. Thanks. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there may be more opportunities for you in the future. I hope so. I really enjoyed this. Okay. Well, good. Um, yeah. And what you said, I really want to affirm that, that that's the kind yeah. of church that we want to be where we have nothing to hide. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that we're always going to agree, yeah. but God willing, we can talk about things in a way that honors the Lord through gentleness and humility um, and truthfulness. And yeah. so we, we want our church culture to be like that. And so I'm glad yeah. that you felt that way. And Absolutely. Um, yeah, we're, we're, always, uh, we're always willing to be open and honest, you know, because if we can't, that's usually indicative of a problem. Right, right. So. Thanks. All right. Thanks.